When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. You sure are, Joe Devine. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. We're very, tired, very aren't well. we? Yeah, feels like we've been here for about a month. It's only actually been six days. Is yeah. that kind of weird? I feel like I've always been here. And JJ Bull, who wasn't here yesterday, but I'm glad he's back. Hi, Me JJ. Uh, it's nice to be back. Is it? Yes. That's good. Did you have fun today? Uh, yes, I had a great time. I watched all the football and... Um, and we were outside the office sometimes, and then others were inside the office. <laughs> yeah. It was a good mix. It was a good mix of outside and in, wasn't yeah. it? What was your favourite game today? Uh, my favourite game, I think, was talking about the Mallard. <laughs> the potential new Batman villain. <laughs> yeah, it's true, the Mallard. It was just a game where we... <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's what the Mallard... What does the Mallard do? Not really anything, but if you feed it too much bread, it dies. That's the Mallard. Uh, right, anyway, we'll be talking about Denmark, Belgium, the Netherlands, Austria, Ukraine, North Macedonia, and Tottenham, would you believe it? Plus, uh, we've got JJ uh, today and not tomorrow, so we'll do a little bit of uh, Scotland previewing ahead of the England game, because England will probably win, and then we'll only talk about them. So it only seems fair to do that bit now, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. But also, can I remind you uh, that if you haven't already, I would encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic. Now, The Athletic is probably the best place online for you to read about football and indeed 10 other sports, I should say. Uh, lots of uh, American sports there too, plus uh, boxing. I don't know if you'd classify that as a, an American sport because you wouldn't because it's... Global sport. It's a global sport. Global sport. Yep. But other, other sports are available and uh, some of the best writers in the world on those things. In fact, you read a piece earlier that you really liked, didn't you, JJ? I did. It was about Memphis Depay. Mm. Um, it's called Memphis Depay, From a Lost Soul in Manchester to the Netherlands' Leading Light. Mm. It's great. It's all about, it's, uh, it's a lot of inside detail about when he moved to Manchester United, why that went wrong, why it's subsequently gone well. Um, and I'm going to stop talking in that particular <laughs> pattern. <laughs> uh, doesn't doesn't trapped anywhere else in to that, go. That, that's the only way yeah. I can talk from now on. <laughs> well, he did lead... Yeah. Away a bit today, scored a goal from penalty. Uh, who wrote that? Uh, Simon Hughes wrote that. Good old Simon Hughes. Well done, Simon Hughes. Yeah, it's go. a good piece. But yeah, I would subscribe just for that. Well, if you want to do that, you can visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. And uh, that's a great place to go to do that. So go to do that at theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. I believe you can get a 30-day free trial. So you can try it out. And if you don't like it, just don't pay. And it's fine. Right, uh, that's all from the intro. Uh, we'll be back after this bit of music and after I say uh, I'll leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of JJ Bull and Seb stafford Blow. Okay, let's begin uh, with Denmark-Belgium. Uh, Denmark won to Belgium, a story not told by the XG, but we'll come to that. Uh, my first point to make is, Seb, of course, ultimately, Kevin De Bruyne came off the bench and uh, took the game completely. But prior to that, uh, Denmark were out of the gates very, very early. They were aggressive, they were fast, they were fired up. And aside from the lovely uh, vertical, at times, football that they played, it was actually quite a moving game, wasn't it? 
it was really moving half. I wasn't expecting to find it that way, but it was, yeah, it was very compelling. And it just, it was that mixture of a crowd who were, you know, brimming with affection for what had happened over the weekend. Um, the kind of the respect paid to Christian Eriksen, the effort of the players. Um, I thought Yusuf Paulson's reaction to scoring the opening goal was very touching. Clearly these guys- Great goal, been, by the way. Great goal, great, great finish. Clearly these guys have been through an awful lot over the last few days mm-hmm. and it was just a lovely moment. I know they didn't go on to win, but I, football's about moments, isn't it? And it was, um, it was, yeah, very touching. I also thought that um, Clive Tilsley said in his commentary that um, apparently the hospital where Christian Eriksen is being looked after is only 400 yards yeah, from the stadium. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that got me a little bit. Um, so to the moment, I think on the 10th minute when they put the ball out of play. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Hey, you know what? Great commentary because um, we've had Clive on the podcast before, so um, hopefully he appreciates this. But um, to know when to stop talking, yeah, to know when it's not about you, it's not about the football. You just you 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 just get out the way and let the human element of what's happening speak for itself. And that was great self awareness. It's a veteran move by a, by a great commentator. Yeah, um, you are the yeah. viewer's companion. You are you are, and it was yeah. It's been. Um, Lovely moment. I have to say the singing as well. I yeah. don't think I've heard uh, singing. Perhaps it might not be a volume thing. It might be a, a, a unity thing. It sounded like everyone in the stadium was singing in unison for quite a long time. Haven't heard that at this tournament yet. I mean, I no, suppose me it, maybe that stands out because of the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, but also, it was Well, I suppose there, was, um, there were more people in the stadium in Copenhagen than we used to. That's a good point. But then I suppose these moments come up very, very rarely, thankfully. Um, and it was kind of, it was... It was something that only that kind of near tragedy could bring out, I guess. And yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was it was lovely. And uh, yeah. Well, on that basis, a slightly different uh, direction than we would normally go on the, the TIFO podcast. Uh, regular listeners will know we're all about hard analysis. Yeah, and sometimes uh, sometimes we dip into uh, slightly vaguer areas of the game. But this, this, this uh, particular game had us discussing this while we were watching it, the idea of sort of sneering at the wanting it more thing, which is something that we do sometimes. Uh, And I think often when we do that, the case, it tends to be that uh, perhaps the commentary or the narrative around the game or the, you know, uh, the, 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 the media ahead of it, some fans perhaps sort of, making something a bit more out of it or suggesting in an ordinary Premier League game, one team wants it more than the other. We, we would say they're all professionals. They're all trained yeah. to yeah, yeah. want it at any given moment. But there are some circumstances, of course, that you, you cannot countenance for, you can't plan for. And it, it did feel in this game that they're very much for the first 45 mi- minutes, at least before energy levels started to dip, that there was a very different uh, way about Denmark than there was uh, Different kind of focus. Yeah. Uh, and one that I suppose is, is quite rare in sport because I... Um, and when this happened at the time, I, I brought out a uh, really obscure reference that you just looked at me blankly after I said it. So when um, when James Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson over in Tokyo, uh, there's a really good ESPN documentary about this as well, which is called I think called Forty to One. Um, he he recently suffered the the loss of his mother who had passed away, and he was on a, this kind of emotional high, which brought out a version of himself which hadn't really been seen by people before. Um, I'm by no means a boxing expert. I'm just kind of repeating other people's analysis there. Um, uh, but this was, it was different. And I, we don't want to trivialize this, but it, it sort of, it was suggestive of something else, which is that 
Like when we talk about wanting it more or giving 110% or other things that in, in the past, JJ and I have had a little bit of a joke about on the podcast. Well, some, they feel like platitudes sometimes. They feel like platitudes because we've gone so far in the other, the other direction and we've over-intellectualized, ha, over-intellectualized the sport to such a, an extent that there's almost no room for these kind of, the, these intangibles. Mm. The thing to remember though, is that the margins at the top of professional sport are really thin. Yeah, and so even if you've got one team performing at kind of ninety-five percent and another to, uh, performing at ninety-seven, that is very dramatic given the kind of the um, yeah the very small disparities between sides. And I think JJ summed that. I was talking about like um, how quick everyone was into the tackle, how much pressure there was. You were talking about like the effect it had on Belgium. That was really interesting to me. The things that you noticed in terms of what it did to Belgium, I just. To me, it was like they were just a yard faster. I mean, that's not, you can't be faster in terms of length, but they were just faster to everything. And uh, the the cliche of wanting it more is one part of it, but it's the, the ag aggressiveness and it's almost like Belgium just weren't expecting it, so couldn't get up to speed quickly enough. So everything they're trying to do is like, they're, they're almost, they don't know what energy is coming at them. They're coming up with a different energy. Yeah. Like if you, you know, someone walks into the, the house and all like bouncy, bouncy, and you're just kind of chill. Well, you used, it was like a gaming analogy you were using earlier where you said it felt a little bit like for the earlier part of the game for Belgium, it was like their first game of the day. Whereas yeah, the, the Danish like, team yeah. had, you know, they'd played 12 games and they were like, right, they were, they were locked you know, in. The perfect it's moment. like when you play any, especially if you play something like Call of Duty or Warzone or something like that, you're after a while, once you've played a few games, you're just locked in and it's when you sit forward and you're right into the, into mm. the game and you just, you can predict where everything's going. You know that you're going to be in the right place at the right time. And the ball sort of bounces for you because you're yeah. just in that zone. Whereas Belgium, sorry, yeah, Belgium are very much like, yeah, like you said, the first game of the day. Uh, they need to warm up, need to go through yeah. some, yeah, to get themselves into the into the zone. We should say, though, that uh, Kevin De Bruyne, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen him play a game that looked like it was his first game of the day. He was in the zone from the moment he came off the bench, JJ. Yeah, well, he changed... He changed the entire game. I mean, they changed the system by putting him on. So they think they took off, was it Martins came off for him? Or was it Carrasco? Martins came Martins off. Came Martins came off. So they, they went from playing, so it's 3-4-3 three, three they played, but it's like a 3-4-2-1. And when De Bruyne came on, he came in between the two forwards. So you had um, Lukaku went to the right and the left side, was it Carrasco or was it Martins? Uh, Who was it? It was, well, Martins on the right side, I think, in the first half. Yeah. And they had Torgan Hazard on the left, didn't they? Carrasco was, was playing the back. Yeah, Carrasco I think maybe, playing, maybe. Let me have a look. Well, yeah. regardless of who it was on that side, Lukaku was definitely on the right side of the split strikers. He's left-footed, so he can come off to it. So De Bruyne was like that kind of false nine he plays at Man City. Yeah. But what you get from De Bruyne that you don't get from Lukaku is that real aggression in the press. Yeah. And again, that sort of drive. Like De Bruyne takes Belgium up a couple of levels, not just because he's an amazing player, but he just makes things happen by running at them. Mm -hmm. Like rather than waiting to assess, I don't know, I can apply it again to sort of war zone, rather than hide behind the wall and wait for the opposite team to come and eventually get you, mm. he just charges in and gets them. Yeah. And if he gets knocked down, it's fine because teammates come in behind him. But when you go in with that aggression, it makes the other team have to adapt to how they're playing. So like if you if you go in hard, then they suddenly have to adjust the way they're playing because Belgium are so many good players and it just leveled out the game. And then from there, they gained control of it. I think there's a few other things that Belgium had. I think the first half, the spacing was far too wide between yeah. between defenders. So obviously you're out of possession, in possession shape, you want to be quite wide. You want to have lots of width to create space between lines so you can get the ball forward. 
And then out of possession, you want to be a bit more compact just to deny that space for those balls to come through. But what they were doing was it's almost like they weren't, not that they weren't trying hard enough. So they didn't seem to realise, or maybe they felt bad about Denmark or something. They weren't it's a quite tricky position in it. to be in yeah. now, isn't it? Because if what's your role in that situation? It's very difficult to move out of the sort of the ruthless tournament mode mentality, I would have thought. Like, we kind of guess at it. We're not professional athletes, but it's a very, it's a very uncomfortable position to be in because you'd be. I think you probably feel like you're intruding upon something, maybe. Well, well also, I we can, I mean, you know, uh, Romelu Lukaku and Christian Eriksen play together they're as well. Friends. I mean, like, yep. it's not like there aren't players in the other Toby team. Toby Alderweireld, Jan yeah. Tongen, sure. teammates of his for a long time. It's That is a really tricky situation for Belgium as well as Denmark. It's, yeah. Uh, uh, just to clear up the uh, the uh, formational point, it was Carrasco on the left. It was um, Torgan Hazard in the left wing left back wing role, back, according, yeah. to, according to the app I just looked at. Um, Seb, I want to talk about Kevin De Bruyne a little bit yeah. more. because. Yeah. His impact on the game was magnificent. It, I mean, it's one of the best, albeit only half of half a game of football, but one of the best performances I think I've seen so far in the tournament. It's up there for me with yeah. what Pogba did for France, what Bale did for Wales. Unbelievable. And his link play with Lukaku, stunning. Yeah, you know what's really telling is that he Kevin De Bruyne played 45 minutes of that game and yet he jumps out as the only topic worth talking about from a technical perspective. Also, and someone in the comment section was quite right, said, uh, said something like um, he was world-class and he had a broken face. And yeah, that, that's kind of true. Like he's, he's probably in a little bit of physical discomfort, possibly. Mm -hmm. But he hasn't played since the Champions League final. Hasn't played since the Champions League final. Hasn't played any competitive football, which is very different to uh, conditioning and training, you know, and, and just, you know, doing laps on, on a training pitch. Steps onto the pitch at the highest level of the game and dominates the game. And it's that's so incredible. much better than anybody else that's I, already there. I know it's a really trite point and I'm going to express it in a very kind of generic way. He's so, 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 so good. So good. Yeah. And it's kind of scary. Also the the moment when he, he when he created the equalizer, um, another cliche, sorry about this, but it was that moment where he just did have more time than everybody else in that moment. Like Lukaku yeah. makes the burst, makes great decision. And De Bruyne is the only player on the pitch in that moment who knows exactly what's happening around him, exactly what the right ball is to play in that moment to take advantage of the numerical superiority, plays it, executes it perfectly, goal. And his own goal... It's like he's playing uh, FIFA from a bird's yeah. eye view instead yeah. of it, from the perspective of a player. You know what it's like? It, there used to be, on the old Madden games, there used to be this facility where, like, if you threw an interception, you could click a button, press a button, sorry, and click a button, press a button and it would give you the chance to do it again. So you made a mistake. It was like a, I forget what it's called, like rewind or something. Sure. And so watching Cheap. him, so, yeah, you'd be pretty much, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, for, for limited players like me. Um, and it was like watching someone who had already made a mistake, rewound and thought, now I know where I'm going. I know what to do. I know what the outcome is here. I've seen all of this before. Here's the ball goal. One all game changed for, for good. Yeah. And his goal was, I mean, we talked about this at the time, like the, the kind of the fallacy of, of criticizing goalkeepers for getting beaten in their near post. But if you look at that, you think, right, so Kasper Schmeichel sees him shaping up on his, on his wrong foot, his left foot, at that range, and you think, he's surely not going to hit it well enough to beat me at my near side because left foot. And yet he's good enough. And it's just... It's it curves so, from out to in as well, doesn't it's it? perfect. That's great. Perfect hit. Everything that's weird about it, if you think about it, is that Roberto Martinez basically goes from being a bad manager 
and having wasted this bunch of players by losing to Denmark to suddenly being a great or as expected or a good manager. Speaking of cheating. Because yeah. <laughs> he's just put, he's just put on Kevin De Bruyne. It's not like, yeah. mm, I'm a tactical master. This, by... this manager's impact subs are really thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just the best player in the How world. How does he know? Yeah. And yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, I mean, the tactical change obviously is that you put De Bruyne through the middle and it makes a difference. But he only didn't play him from the start because... He couldn't because his face has been caved in. Yeah. But yeah. There must be something about Roberto Martinez though, because I remember watching I remember watching Belgium under Wilmots, and goodness, they could be bad to watch. Like you had not quite the same level of talent, but not far off. It was pretty much the same group of players, you know, with a, a Fellaini here and a, you know, a Divock Origi there. Um and it was it didn't work. It didn't gel. There was something about either the formation, the approach, or the atmosphere around the squad which wasn't conducive to the kind of football we're seeing from this group now. There must be something about him. I've never been a big Roberto Martinez person. You've never been a, a big Roberto Martinez person. We were talking about this earlier. <laughs> I'm sure anyone's been a really big well, Roberto look, Martinez you know, person. Talk, talk to Everton Making fans. it sound like I look like Ma Roberto Martinez, but I'm much bigger and stumping yeah, it around it like a sound big like, giant. Yeah, yeah, you like, mean a yeah, fan? Like, like a massive, yeah, like an appreciator. You don't really... I don't really understand. I mean, I'm not the best placed person to... My opinion is invalid, is what I'm saying, but I've never really understood, apart from what happened at Wigan. I suppose... Which was exciting, right? The Wigan thing was he liked them to play quite expressively. He played three at the back. He, he played dangerously with them. Yeah, he did. And it was kind of not what you did with a team who typically finished in the lower regions of the Premier League at the time. Then he went to Everton. Good start. But if you talk to a lot of Everton fans now, they hated him. They hated his positivity and his optimism and his kind of, you know, this is what we learned because I, I think they just got under their skin a little bit. Sure. His performances weren't that great. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of a mystery to me how he went from there on the performance to the job he's got now. There's no kind of in between where he, you know, corrected his trajectory, but he has created something there. And I say that without having any idea what it might be um, that just works for these, for these world-class players who seem to speak very highly of him, which is... It's hard. It feels like there needs to be an article about this. Maybe we can have a word with editorial. See it, could what they... be, it could be that he's a very good coach. Yeah. So that's saying he doesn't look like a manager because like, I think if he's shouting at you, you're not going to care that much. You're going to be like, yep. Everyone says how nice he is. Yeah, there, that's a, the thing. a lot of people, journalists, like players, pretty much, I don't think you'd find anyone who had a bad word to say about the person. And the sessions must be great. And obviously he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's taking good players and made them better at times. And he's taken teams like Wigan to, to win cups. So what's the issue? I, I think great. he doesn't look like a football man. He so just doesn't look like a football man. He doesn't look shouty man, enough. Do you I know what he does look like, though? What? He could definitely be the Mallard. <laughs> and wouldn't the manager of Belgium be a perfect foil? I wonder if he has a wheat intolerance. Maybe he does. Mm. We'll never know. Yeah. Anyway, um, the last thing I want to say on this game is that from watching Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku, you feel like that front line, or even just the two of them on their own, could beat any team that's left in the tournament. Could score goals, for sure, against any team that's left. Is it, JJ, the defence that might let them down? Because at times today, they looked pretty slow. I know we've talked about them being off the pace. Yeah. But we, there have been comments uh, before the tournament about the age of the squad. There were I can't remember the statistic, but there's a huge number of players who were into their 30s. Amazing. I didn't realise this, but Kevin De Bruyne will be 30 before the tournament is over, which is news to me. I thought he was like four years younger. It's quite the shock to you. That's very, yeah. Yeah, really shocked me. The biggest shock of the day. Um, but the defence is old. Well, Could you yeah. see? Can you see... Kylian and Mbappe just sort of walking past them. Yeah, because they play quite high line as well, is the other thing. Yeah. So they sit high because they want to play possession football and that's 3 4 three, so you've got to push it quite high. And then you've got Vertonghen was caught a lot. He looked kind of lost for the first part of the game, I thought. 
Um, Jason Denier made an error, but that's, I mean, he came in to replace Dedrick Boyata, which yeah. I'm not sure exactly what went on there because Boyata I thought was decent in the first game. Uh, and Alderweireld is not as young as he once he was. And no one technically is because even I'm now older than I was five seconds ago, mm. for example. Sure. Logic and time. Uh, and yeah, I think that's, if they're playing a high line, they can get caught. That's going to be a problem for them. Uh, they are as good as anyone probably at defending aerial battles and they've got Denier who can play it from the back, Vertonghen can play it from the back, Alderweireld can play it from the back. They kind of suit what they want to play, but yeah, someone like Mbappe, you think will cause them real, real problems, but they might adjust the way they play even then, just drop a bit. There's ways to do it, but yeah, that's where they're weakest, I would say. And then the midfield too, Tielemans was good today, I thought. Then Donker, I'm not so sure about it. I thought they lacked a midfield for a lot of the game, it seemed like, and that was maybe why they were getting at the defence so often. There's no real protection in front of them. It said I, I saw it on Twitter. I forget. I think it was um, Philippe Auclair said there's a uh, there's a huge Axel Witzel shaped hole in that midfield. Yeah. I wonder what they could do to plug it. <laughs> and then actually, when he came on, they were a little bit better as a result of that. So I, I more genius management. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I just I wouldn't be surprised to see him ease back into the side. I know he's getting on now. He's another one who's in the kind of the veteran stage of their career. But um, Dendonka, we said this about quite a few players from Wolves. Uh, didn't have a great season. I feel like that's there's a little bit of a hangover in this tournament from that. I think I'd be, yeah, Witzel for me. Witzel and Tillemans feels quite nice, I think. Okay. Well, that was Denmark and Belgium, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, we're back. Uh, Netherlands 2, nil Austria. Um, I wish we'd got the XG in the plan for this game because uh, it was extraordinarily large on one side and very, very small on the other uh, there, Seb, wasn't it? It was. I, I'm i really disappointed with Austria. It might be... I might even say I'm a little bit angry. Well, let, 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 let's talk about the Netherlands first and we'll come back and put the boots okay, in. Okay, okay, yeah? okay. Because JJ, we, last night, I know you weren't here on the podcast, but last night we talked about the Netherlands' probable route through the rounds um, because we think we'll see much more of them before this is over. I, I was curious before you head off again, what your general impressions of the team are so far because we weren't really that sure what to think about them beforehand. I think they are between a four and a four and a half star rated team out of five. If you go like, by like oh. FIFA ratings. okay. Really? That high? Yeah, probably four. But then I think Scotland are three and a half and they're definitely a lot better than Scotland. So okay. Okay. playing Maybe a, it's your rating it's your Scotland, Scotland ranking. It's kind of... <laughs> Maybe Scotland are... I can't go lower than three and a half. Kilter. I mean, I think there needs to be a bit more honesty in your Scotland ranking. Yeah. Uh, Kieran Tierney's working really three. hard to bring the average up there. Three. Maybe three. Three, three and a quarter. Anyway, I think they're fine. I think <laughs> <laughs> they've got... I think what they've got... Um, so you look at the players individually, like I think Matisse Delict, I remember seeing him when he's playing at Ajax. I mean, he's better now, but he's just a very, he's just a great defender. Mm -hmm. So you got, and defending's done by the team, not just individuals, but they have an individual like that who's 
uh, very useful at the back. And because they defend with a three, and De Vrij as well, another good defender. The midfield, so that like Wijnaldum, who is, he was brilliant today, and he yeah. was in the first game, and yeah. an example of a player just, just really good when the shackles are let off him a little bit. He's not held so much, um, you know, he's not held in by the tactical instructions by the manager because his instructions are there mostly to be free. Be free, genie. He's the free genie. <laughs> that was nice. Ah, no, I don't even mean that. <laughs> That's how good I am. Uh, Frankie de Jong. I th- uh, really like him as well. And he sure. keeps coming short to get the ball and then dragging him forwards. Like? Well, uh, yeah, he's, I'm sure he's a nice boy. He's, he can run with the ball, uh, passes a lot. You keep the ball in midfield. They've got that good midfield th- uh, three that you need to keep hold of the midfield. Keep seeing midfield a lot. And then the two wing backs basically do what you want them to do. They are fast. They can hit a ball into the box and they sometimes get into the box to meet each other's crosses. And then Memphis Depay floats around as your kind of 10. He's kind of, he, he's one of those players that you always expect more to come out of him because yeah. you know he's got it in him. Yeah, yeah. And when it, and uh, when he peaks, we'll know all about it. It'll be everywhere. He'll peak everywhere. Uh, and then you've got V-Course up front, the big man, which I think is very important in these international tournaments is having <laughs> someone to aim the ball towards. What are you laughing at? That's so it. having V-Course up front is, is important. And uh, and that's the thing with like this De Boer team is that they're not scared <laughs> to put the ball long up to him. So the thing about Holland teams in the past, or Netherlands teams, you should say, is that a lot of them they'll pass too much and it's too easy to slow them down, bring the tempo right down and you block them and they don't score. <laughs> if you just then have the option to hit it long to V-course, he can either take down the chest, head it on, threat from corners, set pieces, hugely valuable like we've been talking about in some of our TIFO IRL videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, um, and then they're cliched, you want to be able to mix things up, but you want to be able to change your tempo, it's really important. And we said in the last podcast, I think it was on, they were slow to build. <laughs> What's that face? Sorry, I can't stop slow to crying. build. Sorry. Joe's crying. Um, yeah. It's uh, been quite a long six days, hasn't it? <laughs> in the last podcast, I talked about the Netherlands on. So they're quite slow to build and they'll go long very quickly. And being able to do that, being able to mix up your tempos and be able to go short, long, mid, uh, medium, makes you harder to play against and just gives them more options. So I think this team... Could be, say it was, um, who's the, uh, what's the, the duck man manager of Belgium again? Roberto Martinez, where he in charge, the they, played, they would play the Mallard. If they were, if the Mallard were in charge of the Netherlands and they were closer together in that 3-4-3 and just passing it, I think they'd be much easier to play against. They wouldn't be, they create more, but they'd probably be easier to get at. Yeah. Whereas this Holland team's harder to break down because they're not the strongest they've ever been. So if you can get the best of both worlds being, Hard to break down defensively, but also then just having players that make use of that system. So they're four stars. I quite like that V-Course to Pi combination. Yeah. Like we've talked about V-Course before on this, uh, on the podcast, and I'm a little bit surprised he nobody takes more interest in him, like, you know, transfer-wise. Alex Stewart takes a lot of interest in him. Yeah, but I mean, I, I just mean that he he seems kind of... From a Premier League perspective, I know we're not trying to make it a Premier League centric podcast or discussion, but like he's he's purpose built, like he's brilliant at a lot of things. He's not the quickest, but he's a very mo- he's like the modern interpretation of the target man. You put a, a Memphis to pie around him, mm. like if you allowed that combination to develop over time, it could yeah. be really really special. And I I I don't know. I I just I look at those two and I I see flaws in Holland, Netherlands. Sorry. Um, I see flaws in their defence, like uh, don't trust the goalkeeper. Not sure he's 
the best goalkeeper of the tournament. Um, he's a very middling kind of player. It's Stecklenburg, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. still Stecklenburg. Uh, Patrick van Arnhold, I think, has his issues. I think we've seen that at Palace. But if you can kind of, if you can make hay from that front two with Wijnaldum behind, that's actually, I don't know, I'm, I'm liking the Netherlands more than I expected to, I think. Okay, um, that sounds good. interesting. You, you described night, but... uh, Weghorst as, as a purpose-built, did you say? Because yeah. what I heard was you said, his pub's built. And I thought for a minute, I was like, is that a thing that people That's, say? You know, like well, when, he, when he's ready for it, his pub's built. It's already there. I shall reflect on what I said there when I, I go home tonight and go to bed at the Old Red Lion Theatre oh, Pub, which is in Angel Islington. I think you should mention that the Old Red Lion. So, you know, it's there. really comfortable. Best nice pub to watch football in, in London. Friendly like staff, it. great screen, good food. Yeah. You know, just a really Fantastic nice place. experience. And uh, If you go to yeah. the bar, ask for Uncle Damien. Yeah. He probably won't be there. Anyway, that's well, the old red be. line theatre. He might be. Do that. He might be. Uh, yeah. Can you put the boot into Austria now, please? I was looking oh. forward to this bit because we, what, they were frustratingly poor. And uh, can you actually, can you look up what their XG was in this game? Because I can do. I'll tell you what, why don't you, um, why don't you fill 15 seconds? Fill 15 seconds. And I will do that. Just okay. keep doing it. What else, what would the duck man really be good at? I, well, I know how to fill that. Can we do that yeah. quote that I liked? Oh yeah, please read me the quote. So there's a quote I found in the comment section below the who scored match centre of, mm. of um, Netherlands to Austria. Good website. And I would like to read it in the voice I think that Zoltan has written it in. Mm. Zoltan's been a member since 15th of February 2020. Mm. Details all important. And were this to be on the audio podcast, it would be nice with a, a cool bed music, like a quite horror type okay. of music. Yeah. And just so you know. What is this clueless disaster called Depay going to do in Barcelona? <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> he has no sense of goal in him. <laughs> if it were up to him, the game would end with 1-0. He will never find a goal. <laughs> He, did, he found a goal in the game. He did, yeah. That's Zoltan. Anyway, put the boot in, Seb. Sure did. Right, so XG, uh, Netherlands 3.46, Austria 0.72. That 0.72 is an absolute scandal because they were rubbish. Yeah. Where did they get that 0.72 from? I have no idea. I think we'd kind of tuned out by that point. Because um, when I asked you, it was after half time and it was 0 0.09, which seemed complimentary. I just, my point is... Let's really is, get them. <laughs> When we when we when we looked into them before the tournament, we knew what to expect. They are less than the sum of their parts. Sure. And they are they're the big issue with them, with their watching public, is that they're boring and dull and negative and fearful. And the thing is, is, is that it's it's worse than that because if you think about if you if you watch a bit of Bundesliga or if you kind of remain aware of the sort of the the general European football scene, you know how some how, how good some of these players are. Sabitz and most people know. Lima, most people know. Liner, most people don't know, but we'll remember the, from, from the first game where he scored that, you know, lovely cushion volley. He's a very good player. Uh, maybe they lack a proper forward, but David Alaba at the back, Hinterrad is a good player. Dragovic probably didn't turn out to be the player he was supposed to be, but still a very decent player. And they they, they behave, they play like a minnow. They play like a yeah. team that sort of, they, they curl up into a ball and say, please don't hurt me. It's like they're not even sure what they're trying to do. The, it's quite the, middling, isn't it? So it I have no idea what they're yeah. trying to do. And I, worse still, it doesn't look like the players know either. There's no, there's no yeah. obvious objective to their football, which is um, really troubling. I mean, is this, can I ask you something? Yeah, this yeah, is the main yeah. reason I love the live chat and yes. being on the live stream because Jimbo Jimbo says, how can you be the less than the sum of your parts? And that's a, 
I want you to explain how. Like a philosophical a question? Way. Yeah, exactly. I suppose in a literal... You can't make a snarky comment on a live stream, can you? Because there's always the threat that, that it might get might brought up. That bring it up in the... On, Please on, take down yeah. Jimbo Jimbo, sir. Jimbo Jimbo. The, well, the point we're trying to make here is that if you took all of those players as individuals and assessed their ability, so if you assigned them a JJ Bull-style star system, you would tot up all of those stars and expect a certain level of performance or competency, competency as a result of that. Austria fall, fall well below that. So let's sure. call them a, they're not an eight, but a seven out of 10 kind of t- kind of team playing as a as a four out of 10, well within themselves. Yep, Jimbo Slice saying Jimbo Jimbo, chucking it for all the Jimbos. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, enough. Given all the Jimbos a bad name. Uh, okay, we will be back after this. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. And we're going to talk now about Ukraine, North Macedonia. Uh, Ukraine, of course, uh, two, one, North Macedonia. Crazy XG for this game. Now, I know that Alex Stewart is sat at home uh, making eyes at me because of how I'm using XG to talk about one game. I'm going to do it anyway, Alex, because it's funny. Because they had 3.68 XG, Ukraine did, uh, to 1.5 for North Macedonia. Open game, open game, uh, quite fun. Not a huge amount to analyse. We'll talk a little bit afterwards about uh, Ukraine's uh, next game. Must win, of course. Uh, but the thing we want to talk about as it relates to this game, Seb, was um, seeing great players differently out of their club teams. Now, explain to me what I mean by that. Okay, so this was based on watching Malinowski, who, if you've watched Atlanta, you know is a good player. But when you take them out of the context of their uh, of their club side, player like that, and put them in a team where they kind of they move up the hierarchy of abilities. All of a sudden, they well, a couple of things tend to happen. First of all, you notice them more because uh, when it's when an international team has good players uh, and doesn't have isn't stuffed with good players, they tend to play a lot of more of their football through that player, through that individual. So you see, uh, you see more of that individual, and you also tend to see like a broader range of their abilities. Zinchenko is a really good example of that too, because Zinchenko's role for Ukraine is. Very different, obviously, to the one he occupies for Man City. He's a kind of a... I know he plays as a left-back, but he's not really a left-back for... He's um, a Kevin De Bruyne lookalike. He is, and he's kind of... He's a, He's just another member. He's like a He's he's like a member of the Manchester City chorus, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. not like part of, the, part sure. of the, the, the main cast. He's a smaller fish in a bigger pond. He is, and I think it's just really interesting because it's, it's one of the charms of international football. Um we will be watching England Scotland tomorrow. John McGinn falls into this category. Mm. We watched Wales last night, and we talked a little he's, bit. He's a, was he a large fish in a large lock? <laughs> no, I, I think it's more that he's a. 
<laughs> a huge monster. Uh, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, we talked about last night. Mm. It's just a, an interesting phenomenon. Actually, in, in Bale's case, you kind of, you, you see a player moving from, Bale's a wonderfully destructive player and always has been, but he's always kind of played as a peripheral member. He's not a central midfielder. He's not a, a core part of a team. He's a garnish yeah. and a decoration and he's a, you know, a finishing part. Whereas for I Wales- I liked Wijnaldum. Your example of Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum's Sorry, I, I cut you right in the middle of that. No, no, not Bale at all. No, because there are, there are so many and I think it's such a constant thing. Like Wijnaldum, again, a member of a really good player and we've, we've known he's a really good player for Liverpool for ages and he has the goals and the moments to prove it. Mm. But- the little turns, the little tricks, the slight um, moments of expression, I think. You see more yeah. for Holland, Netherlands, mm -hmm. than you do for Liverpool. And I, I think it's a, it's one of the pluses of international football is that you get to see people in a different context. Yeah. And you get to learn a little bit about players. And Malinowski, like, if you haven't, if you don't watch Italian football and you don't watch Atalanta, fine. Malinowski is a joy. Yeah. He's just a joy. He's that archetypal, left-footed, creative sort who, who moves and touches the ball in exactly the right way. Um, he reminds me a little bit of, um, there's a Yugoslavian player called Drulovic um, who was very, very left-footed too, very creative, very pure striker of the ball. And there's something about it. I, I find that kind of player quite seductive, just the, you know, the, the educated left foot and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of the things I've enjoyed about this tournament is the the opportunity just to see these players outside of their natural environment and with new roles and, and you know, responsibilities. And it's um, it's great. It's really good. I like it. Spinazzola, Italy, is a good example. Spinazzola is a great Come example. out of nowhere. I mean, he plays for Roma. Yeah. Um, but he was second behind even Emerson Palmieri, Italian national team, even when Emerson wasn't... Which, if you think about him. what that means about someone, like if you're behind him, <laughs> like he's, 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 a, he's a very average player. And that's it. If you have a good few games, I mean, the classic is in the tournament is you have a few good games and something you get signed, like Karol yeah. Paborski in 96, that classic. sort of thing. Yeah. I'm sure there must be some more scouting behind it than that. But if you impress on that huge stage, then you think, well, well you'll fit actually, into the I actually don't think there was. Like, I, I think um, I, I think I read in, in Alex Ferguson's autobiography, that one of the six... Um, that it really was built around that goal. He didn't, I don't think he was watching Karol Paborski before. Mm -hmm. And also like Paborski's career at Man United didn't really have a role to play because Beckham was coming through at the same time. Paborski was really a, a right winger or attacking sort of wide forward before such a position really existed in English football. So it kind of was like a, I like that. Let's, let's have some of that. Good goal. We'll sign you. Yeah, that makes sense. I also like how... You get players like Spinazzola or whatever will come to the fore and look like a really good player. He's maybe not top tier, but he could definitely play for a big club because of what he offers you with his role. But then with talking about Bale, even when he was, like, obviously he was clearly better than everyone else at the Wales team, but when he was at Real Madrid, which is signed for them, he looks as one of the standouts in Real Madrid. So some players, even at this high level, stand out even higher again amongst yeah. others. And it's the same exactly. way, I think, we might have talked about this before, but when you... If you ever play five-a-side or something with a player who has played at any decent level, they yeah. are a different species of human to you. It's so weird how they, they see the game. They, everything's better. They kick the ball differently. Yeah, the technique and kicking it. They're so much fitter and stronger as well. It's weird. I once played in a game. I, was, I must have been about 18 or 19, and it was probably the highest quality game I've ever played in. And like a weird little trial match at Kettering. And when the players would around me would like switch the play, like play a ball across the pitch, 40 yards... As it went over your head, the ball would whistle. I've never heard that. Like, I, I've never heard that before. Like, because obviously, like, you, you play mostly with your friends, you sort of lump it around and it's a bit sort of airy. But I've never sort of been around that much ability. And it's kind of, it's a reminder that, right, at that level, which is absolutely pathetic, to that, 
It's like a different game. Yeah. It's crazy. That was the end of it, really. That was the end of my anecdote. That was kind of hoping you'd you look busy. launch in. You you were preparing some kind of segment. I was busy because I was trying. I keep forgetting to calculate the points before we get to the end the of the prediction. podcast. But we've got uh, one more thing to talk. Well, very briefly, will you tell me a bit about what's going on at Tottenham? Because the other oh. day I was all excited about Paolo Fonseca. I wanted to rewatch Alex Stewart's tactics video about him, and then I came in this morning and there was talk about Gattuso. What's happening? <sighs> right. So Fonseca issue. Um, Fonseca issue with Tottenham fans is a little bit complicated because people, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm for that. But if you took a step back and applied an open mind, you could probably make a case for it being a semi-good idea and making some kind of sense. Um, What seems to have happened since, uh, according to the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook, who's been um, great with his reporting during during this, let's call it a saga, scandal, just months and months of nonsense, um, is that there was a tax issue with Fonseca, which I don't fully understand and which I'm probably not going to try and muddle my way through. But as a result of Reno Gattuso becoming available, um, he was supposed to go to Fiorentina. Fiorentina had a few issues with George Mendes's potential influence upon their transfer policy. So backed away from that and they broke their deal and sort of seemed to come to some kind of mutual agreement. Um, Tottenham jumped in, decided that, uh, well a new sporting director or managing director, comma, football, uh, Paratici, wanted Gattuso. Uh, Had actually planned on appointing him at Juventus um, had he stayed there, had he not been uh, removed at the end of last season. So now, who knows? Uh, This is apparently very, very close. The contract with with Fonseca was uh, completely agreed. The, I'm led to believe that um, apparently his wife was on Instagram talking about next steps and bags packed and let's go to England and isn't it going to be exciting? It was that close. And now... Has she been to England? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's nice, lovely here. Yeah. And now, goodness knows what. And I won't go into full ramp, but what I'll say is a few days ago, the club released a video which was a sort of in-house interview with Daniel Levy in which he rather kind of mockingly um, spoke about how much criticism he receives from fans and how he just ignores it and, you know, how he's kind of just a bit above it, really. And you think, maybe you should hear some of that criticism. Maybe you shouldn't block it out. Like, maybe, 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 you know, maybe you shouldn't rise above it all the time because Tottenham... Tottenham it's slippery slope. I'm with Daniel. Tottenham, well... Don't listen to anyone. Tottenham are uh, into quite a dangerous area. A lot of people aren't just annoyed. A lot of people are quickly becoming disinterested. That's not a good territory for a football club. And... um Tottenham and nowhere. It's worked all right for Arsenal, hasn't it? <laughs> I suppose so, but Tottenham are, goodness knows, I, I don't even really have a, an opinion about Gattuso, the manager. Like I have some about him as a player, a couple more about what he seems to be as a person. Let's leave that for another time. But uh, as a coach, I, I don't know why he's... I think goodness Alex knows. did a, a tactics video on him about uh, his, uh, was it AC Milan? Yes, when he first, when he took over, um, when he took over AC Milan... I think it's about three years ago now. He did two years at AC Milan. He's just finished two years at Napoli. Uh, missed the Champions League. He's won a Coppa Italia, which is an okay achievement, but I don't know. Um, so I'm 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 bemused, perplexed, confused. Don't know what's coming next. So imagine the most not happy. Obvious worry as well for Spurs fans. Then be George that's surely going to make Harry Kane. Oh, I see. Uh, oh. Wants to. I mean, he already wants to leave. That's why would he say? Thing. I mean, for, for this, it's. Uh, I, I would dearly love 
Harry Kane spend the rest of his career playing for Tottenham. But I think Conte had he gone in, you think that top tier level manager, then you kind of have you can justify wanting to stay. You'd want to give it a chance yeah. as a player because you think Conte winner, even though he wants to get away. Yeah, he's still but uh, this is, I don't even know what this is. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. You could pretty much just about make out the beginnings of a project with Fonseca. You could have understood what he was about. Mm-hmm. Gattuso, not so much. I don't know what he represents at all. So Great footballer, though. <laughs> yeah, nuggety, horrible, nasty, uh, great in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Right, well, he was good in other ways. No, too, no, he was a good no, 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 He was no, very was known for... Uh, I can see that you're on the edge here emotionally. I'm going to try and bring this you back in. Pro- I think... Look, I, just, I think... Just I like, away. I think uh, I'm not ready to talk about it. I'm too annoyed. I haven't. You put it on the plan. I felt like it was the right thing to do. I I, I made well, the sacrifice. He's after Austria. The he's after Gattuso. This man's unstoppable. He's... You know who could stop him, JJ? The Mallard. The Mallard. <laughs> or me, because I'm in charge of the, the direction of the podcast, and I am gonna I am gonna stop him and his incessant negativity. I'm gonna ask you, JJ, about uh, Scotland ahead of tomorrow, ahead of the England game, or, or indeed today, if you're listening to this on uh, Friday the 18th. Big game, huge game. Uh, you know, Scotland, I don't know if they need to get something out of it, but they will really want to get something out of it. How can they do that? Uh, it's uh, hmm. the, the, <laughs> it's really, I was really looking forward to this now. I'm really worried about it now. I think I, one half of me thinks it might be a very simple 3-0 win first for England, which is roll over them. Scotland try and defend in the way they want to. So Scotland are going to play a 5 uh, one two two. It's five three two. Basically, this is what they're going to do. They're going to have a narrow, it's not a press, it's like a forward block, and try and show England wide. And then they're going to get really compact and tight, and leave no space between the lines. Try and frustrate them and hit them on the counter. And they'll go for long balls towards probably Lyndon Dykes up top, and then he'll head the ball a bunch of times, and England have the ball, and they'll start again, and it uh, could turn into one of these things. But if one of those headers goes in the right place, like say Scotland start, you'd notice in this tournament, I think this noticed it a lot, especially for teams who are playing at home. Unfortunately, this is at Wembley, but uh, in the first 15 minutes, the home team just goes nuts. They come out going bananas, and they come out and they go and they manage to get a couple of goals. You saw it like Denmark this season. Yeah. Like Poulsen's goal within two minutes, I think it was, or something. Yeah, something like that, so two, three minutes, yeah. Crazy early. And you get that that real oomph from the the fans and the momentum, the adrenaline you've got going into the game. So Scotland might be able to have that anyway. There'll probably be a few Scotland fans in the stadium. I know there's like 30,000 or something that have come down <laughs> to watch the game in London. Um, not at the stadium because obviously Wembley's reduced capacity. But so it's going to be those things like wanting it more. The attitude and mentality is going to be crucial in going into that battle because there'll be some England players who will say they're looking forward to the battle. They know it's going to be a battle and they don't know. They don't know what it's going to be like because they don't understand what's coming at them. Equally, uh, that so like your tactics and your system are going to be like one part of it. Your mentality is going to be a big part of it, and then um, I can't remember what the other part is because I've gone into self in circles. But they need to like the tactics don't really matter here. <laughs> like you're, you're going to block them down and you're trying to hit them on the counter. And England have really good players. Few weaknesses, and we highlighted this in a video we put out on T4 IRL today. I think you can get you can wind up Tyrone Mings yeah. and may, make him do something stupid, whether that's get a yellow card, red card, or give away a penalty, something like that. I think you can don't press as high up as you might think you should to try and bring mistakes out of England passing from the back, which they'll do a lot. Harry Kane, if you can squeeze the space at the back long enough, he'll get bored and start dropping deep, and then he's not in front of goal to be able to score. Um, uh, and... Yeah, kick them. It's really. I've always thought that 
it's a really uncomfortable position to be in as an England player because you, if it's a, just a cold, dispassionate match, 11 versus 11, yeah. no attitude, no energy, England win. Because and they should win. This thing, they're they better players, yeah. But as, a, as an England player, you're kind of in a no-win situation. You win the game 3 or 4-0, that's what you're supposed to do. If and it's anything less, if it's, for instance, if it's something like, even if it's nil-nil at half time, that's going to breed a certain amount of negativity and a bit of self-doubt. And all of a sudden, as an England player, presumably you start to think, oh, well, if we lose to Scotland at home, we're going to get crucified. And, and you start drawing the front page of the sun in your mind and, you know, vegetables and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what the game's about. Yeah, it's about tactics and team selections. Yeah, of course. But these games, they've always been a little bit about all the other stuff, all the intangibles. And that's why I'm never comfortable playing Scotland. Like, I don't think I've ever gone into a game against Scotland thinking 5-0 because it's never really like that. Yeah, um, I, I, th I also think I think Scotland will try and kill the game, and like that's largely what the system. I mean, when I say tactics don't matter, it's it, they do, I mean it's all relative, right? It's all you need you need the tactics, you need the players to turn up, and you need to get your game plan right. It's, just, it's all part of the same thing. There are a few tactical changes I think Clark should make yeah. for this game. I think one playing Shea Adams rather than Lyndon Dykes makes sense. If you play Dykes and Adams up front, all you're asking to do is hit long balls which is going to head on to no one because the only runner is one of the other big men. Okay. It, I think it's a pointless endeavour. It's just long balls inviting pressure onto yourself. doesn't make any sense. Um, I think... So Stephen O'Donnell plays at right wing back and he's done well for Scotland. He's decent at delivering set pieces as well from that right wing. But it might be the case that you play this young guy called Nathan Patterson who's at Rangers. He's about 19. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him play before. I haven't, no. Uh, he's really, really great. But it's a huge fixture. He's only, I think he's played his debut in one of the friendlies before the tournament started. And he only just got into the team at Rangers because James Tavernier was injured. So he was out, so he got in the first team. But he immediately was clearly good enough at that level. And he's clearly good enough for Scotland level because I saw him in the friendly when he played in and he was phenomenal. He was doing Cruyff turns, going past players and was really aggressive at attacking. And even if he might get beaten 1v1 defensively against Raheem Sterling, I think Stephen O'Donnell might too because Raheem Sterling's great. So you put Nathan Patterson on straight away. He's going to have. He's going to be fearless. He's going to be able to take you on, give you width on the right, which gives you a bit more of attacking oomph and a bit more balance across the pitch. Which means Robertson can end up being isolated and turn up at the back post to attack something. It could be valuable, and also to keep the ball against England midfield. Billy Gilmore honestly could come in at some point. You got to play Callum McGregor from the start to keep the ball. So he plays as like a six or an eight for Celtic. And there was no one in that. Um, I mean, Czech Republic largely blocked off the passes into Scott McTominay. He's got McTominay's not a six. He's an eight, goes box to box. So England's midfield should be against a three, I think, with McGinn breaking from yeah. an eight to become a ten. And then play probably Ryan Christie or maybe even someone like Ryan Fraser, someone quick to run off or the headers are going to hit towards Adams or Dykes. Because it's going to be a lot of long balls at the top to ease pressure from England uh, pressing high. Because this is the weird thing, and maybe the clever thing Southgate's done, is England aren't very attacking. They're quite defensive and quite rigid and very safe. So even when you think you've got them on the counter, you don't really because there's people back. It means the games kind of grind down where they're... England can be quite boring to watch, I think, at times. And it's mostly because they don't really commit in the same way like Italy. Like high press, go. It's beautiful to watch. It's lovely. Belgium does something similar. It's really nice to watch to get tempo right. England, safety first, but that's something... They have like 10 minute spells where yeah. they're a little bit more aggressive, but then they seem to... I don't know whether it's a conditioning thing. It's game or, management. Yeah, it does seem like that. They, they have 10 minute spells where they really exert themselves and they are a little bit more expressive and a bit more aggressive, but then that fades away. I, I, 
I don't know whether that's intentional or not. But I, let me ask you, I, I, I think Scotland have been underestimated. You've been a little bit negative since that loss to the Czech Republic. I, I don't think anybody, <laughs> like if, if, if there are England fans out there who are expecting four goals before half time, nice and easy, nice and simple, I think that's kind oh, of naive. I also, also JJ, Murray Allen in the chat says, JJ, we won't win if you don't believe. Oh, there you go. This is all just... See, if England walk into this game thinking pretty much, ah, it's Scotland, they're going to give us a battle, they're going to give us a battle, but secretly I know we're going to win. That's what a lot of players will be thinking. They'll get done in. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Uh, and Scotland will try and kill the game, and it won't be like 3 or 4 nil from anything stupid that Scotland do. I mean, I, I don't think David Marsh will be quite so high off his line this time. <laughs> but what you will have is that... Um, yeah, trying to kill, they're going to try and kill this game, squash it down, and deny England the space that they want, and then rely on that couple of counter attacks that you can get out of them. A set piece—that's the kind of thing that you can do, and then just battling it out and seeing out the game, playing it dirty. I think is the way. But there are good players. I mean, John McGinn, Cal McGregor, Scott McTominay, uh, Kieran Tierney. They can play, and Andrew Robertson—they're all high tier players. I mean, would you say they're more likely to get three points from the England game or from the Croatia game? I think what Scotland will do is <laughs> end up, I think I've said this before, I think they'll beat England or draw with England and then manage to get the result just below the one they need against Croatia. Mm. So they'll fail heroically. And it's uh, something that I d wish was not the case, but sadly is exactly the case every single time. And also something bizarre always happens with Scotland. Like even like the women's team in the World Cup, they got knocked out. It's because of that stupid penalty line rule where the goalkeeper had to have your feet oh, in the line. I've forgotten about that. It's like yeah, the yeah, first yeah, team yeah, to get called yeah. up on it. Of course, it's Scotland. Yeah, it's just something yeah. like this always happens. And now it's <laughs> the David Marshalls goal. get lobbed from 50 yards. <laughs> yeah. So like you know they were there because it's on the highlights reel. <laughs> so that maybe that's... And also that like just getting beaten from 50 yards isn't enough. He then has to get tangled in the goal net and become a meme afterwards. It's a meme now, yeah. And yeah. That, that lives forever. Right? And it's not that I'm so much negative. It's just, there's a certain level of pessimism that you not endure, but just are used to. It's almost like I just, it makes me so sad when we are close to winning and I get excited that I'd rather just feel nothing. <laughs> when did that start? Because we, we watched we watched the, the Czech Republic game together. Yeah. Uh, when did you... You were optimistic when you came in. You had your iron brew. You're happy. You've got to risk your heart to love. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the rule. If you don't open up and let go, people, you can never truly be loved. Yeah. They've hurt me many times, Scotland. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. And let's uh, move on <laughs> to the points. At the end now, we forgot to do these yesterday and I think the day before. But we'll do them now. And uh, Alex Stewart, hero of the hour, kindly uh, listened back to the end of Tuesday's podcast just moments ago when I texted him. Uh, so he's given me what we said then. And I can tell you, JJ, uh, that that three-point penalty that you incurred for forgetting to make your prediction has really done you a disservice here because you are now three points behind first place. Mm. Alex Stewart leads the way on 30. Okay. JJ following up with 33. I mean, that is just I the... I would be level if I hadn't done that stupid thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Seb next on 35, and I've I've brought the gap. Yeah, you a you had a perfect score today. I had a perfect score today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? It was the uh, Belgium Denmark. Belgium yeah. Denmark. You had it was to the Belgium Denmark. Got it, got I was the it. only Spot person on. to say Denmark would score a goal. Yeah, well yes, done. you were. Mm -hmm. And I was vindicated within minutes. You actually there was a point where there was a fourth goal threatened, 
And it was one of the exciting situations where a goalkeeper gets caught up the pitch. Everyone's thinking, God, I you know, score from 60 yards. Michael up for the corner. And you were the only person in the world hoping that it wasn't going to go in. Well, I think quite a lot of people from well, maybe the Denmark the also ones, yes. weren't. That, that, that's probably that true, but you were, yeah. Anyway, I'm on 39, just four points behind you. I feel like I can make that up. I think if you can finish last, that would really make the tournament for me. I'd, I would enjoy that greatly. And I hope the TIFOs are with me Very as they're listening this evening. Nasty can we you. predict the next ones? <laughs> Oh, of course. We need to predict the next games, don't we? And the next games are... Sweden versus Slovakia. Sweden versus Slovakia. Scotland versus uh, England. And presumably Croatia versus the Czech Republic, is it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Seb, would you like to go first with your predictions? Right. I think Croatia will beat Czech Republic 2-0. Mm-hmm. I think Slovakia and Sweden will finish goalless. And I fancy England to beat Scotland 1-0. Okay, uh, JJ? I also think Croatia will beat Czech Republic 2-0. I think England-Scotland is 1-1. And I think Sweden versus Slovakia is... 1-2. Okay, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works Interesting, here. interesting. I think uh, Croatia and the Czech Republic is going to be 1-1. Okay. I think England will beat Scotland 3-1. And I think uh, Sweden and Slovakia will be 0-0. Okay. There we go. There we go. It's very exciting. You've abandoned it? your 1-1 one, one for all the games to... tactic. Well, it didn't work. It didn't serve you that well. Seriously, though. Yeah, yeah, he thinks he can beat you. That's why. Yeah, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. He's, he's, he's found something that he wants to achieve in this. And now he's like, it's... Uh, <laughs> now he'll yeah. try. Now he believes. It's like you, you're in Scotland. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, that's probably the end, isn't it, there? Uh, thank you so much to everyone for uh, listening today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We will be back as usual tomorrow to discuss all of uh, the day's games and events and other themes. And uh, JJ, you're away for a couple of days now, but you'll be back uh, next week, won't you? I sure will. I think I'm back on Sunday. Possibly you are. Who knows? Well, enjoy the game tomorrow. I'm going to (laughs) try. Seb? Thank you again. My pleasure, Joe. See you later. See you later. Yeah. And a thanks as usual to Don and Craig, our wonderful production staff this evening. A little wave there from Don and Craig. There's one hand that's young and one older hand. <laughs> there we go. Right. Uh, au revoir, t Until the another one. Goodbye. Goodbye.